0: This is the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. You're listening now to the Honest to God series with Gail Rose and Ahanu.
1: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our show today. We have such a fantastic show today. I can't wait to get started with it. And i got a huge list of questions for our guest, Penny Kelly, today, once we bring her on. Ahano, this is, we're talking about elves and fairies today. This is, you know, right up my alley. This is what I love to talk about. So I can't wait to bring uh, Penny on and talk to her about all this. But I do have to mention the weather, as I do every week. And I have to say, even though it's only 8 o'clock in the morning in San Diego, it does look like it's going to be another sunny, glorious day in the 70s.
2: Now, this is also a subject that's very close to my heart, because as most, if not all of our listeners would know, and if you didn't, you'll certainly gather from my accent, I come from Ireland, which is the land of fairies. Indeed, talk about cultural cultural. Uh, cultural influence we grew up knowing that fairies are everywhere and working with them and seeing them and discussing with them and conferencing with them and all sorts and it's perfectly normal and then to arrive in the United States where there's a whole different cultural outlook and find that it there was nobody who was interested in fairies or even knew they existed or believed in anything about them until we met our guest today Penny Kelly so we're looking forward to how she communed with the fairies in Michigan and the elves, of course. But speaking about elves and fairies and the elementals in Ireland, it's quite commonplace. And when I first brought Angel Rose to Ireland, she was absolutely stunned. The fact that lots and lots of place names were actually called Fairy Water and Fairy Glen and Fairy Hill. And there's place names in the Irish language, for example, Labanashida in County Clare, which actually means the bed of the fairies. So it's quite normal. And indeed there are lots of uh, stone circles and what are called fairy raths. And these are like, uh, the rath is the Irish name for a fort. Um, It's actually, some people would call it a natural uh, formation in the land, but the fairies are believed to live there. And in fact, there are also various, what we would call weeds, but what the fairies actually turn into their transport at nighttime. And these would be, Um, like uh, various weeds that the farmers now through the instruction of the European Union will be told to spray and poison them and these are what the fairies use uh, they turn them into horses, and the flowers actually turn into the the manes and tails of these horses they ride so this is something that we need to address, and the eu needs to needs to know about that they 're actually instructing the poisoning of these wonderful elementals. but before we get there, as is normal, Angel Rose mentions about the weather we 're sitting here in beautiful sunny. California, little chilly but nonetheless beautiful uh, blue skies. Other parts of the country and other parts of the world have snow and high winds and also there is this supposed epidemic of flu. And vaccines and all this kind of thing are running out and there's the big panic about injecting children and young girls. All kinds of horrible, horrific things going on in the world. But we're not going to focus on that today. Our focus is on the wonderful world of the elementals, the wonderful world of the fairies and the elves. So we had Penny Kelly. On the last show before the end of 2012 and we were speaking about consciousness because one of her greatest subjects that she loves to talk about is consciousness and we had a fantastic show. If anybody wants to listen to that, just go back in the archives either at Blog Talk Radio and search for us under the Honest to God series. Or else the easier way to do it is to go on Angel Rose's website, which is angelrose.com, A-I-N-G-E-A-L, which interestingly enough is the Irish word for angel, angelrose.com forward slash podcasts. And there you'll find all the archives of all the radio shows we've done. And look out for that one. The last one in 2012 was with Penny Kelly. Wonderful discussion on consciousness. And we're really looking forward to having her back on today.
1: Yes, so let's get right to it, Ahano, because we can give all the announcements at the end of the show. Let's start our conversation with Penny today, because it's such a fascinating topic. Good morning, Penny. Are you there? Yes,
3: ma'am, I am. Good morning. (laughs) Well, welcome, welcome once again. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it's good to be here, and I'm glad your weather is good and you're all safe out there. (laughs) Yeah,
1: how is it going for you? Are you in snow?
3: Uh, no, we have uh, had almost no snow again this winter. It's um, probably going to be 40 degrees today. The sun is shining. The wind is blowing like a crazy crazy man. But, um, you know, other than that, it's beautiful.
1: Oh, okay, that sounds fantastic.
2: Kenny, for those of our listeners who didn't hear the previous show the last week in December that we had with you where you were discussing consciousness, let me just run through a quick introduction, a quick biography of you just to position Mm -hmm. you, okay? You are a writer, teacher, consultant, speaker, publisher and naturopathic physician, you're also the owner of Lily Hill Farm and Learning Center in Southwest Michigan, where you teach courses in developing the gift of intuition, getting well again naturally, and organic gardening. You've been researching and exploring consciousness, cognition, perception, and intelligence for over 30 years. And you worked with Dr. William Levengood, biophysicist, and, and in, in near Ann Arbor in Michigan. And you've been deeply involved in community gardening efforts. You have your own small publishing company called Kelly Networks, LLC, where you publish books on the subject of spirituality and health. You hold a degree in humanistic studies from Wayne State University and a degree in naturopathic medicine from Clayton College in Birmingham, Alabama. You maintain a large counseling practice, work as a consultant to schools and corporations and raise organic vegetables, cows and chickens. And you're also the mother of four children and you've co-written 14 books with others and six books of your own. Now we have ordered and are reading all of those books, absolutely wonderful reads, but the one in particular that we love and that we see from your website pennykelly.com others also love is the elves of lily hill farm so can we start there with that book like was that was that a journal of yours or was that you just taking notes as you worked along with your encounter with the elves
3: yeah it started out that way i had no thoughts about writing a book i had no belief in elves. actually when we when i started Um, and it just sort of evolved. And then one day one of the elves, um, one of the female elves, said, why don't you put all those notes you've got into a book? And, you know, you wanted to write, so make that into a book. And so I gathered up all of the journal entries and and put them all in, in order and sent them off. And, you know, and I sent them to Llewellyn Publishing, and they called back and said, Oh, this needs to be a narrative. We don't do journal kinds of things. Could you make it into a narrative? And I was so excited. I said, yeah, absolutely, I will. I'll do it immediately. And I hung up the phone and thought, what the heck is a narrative? <laughs> 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 I was like, okay, let's go back to seventh grade. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, it became a book, and it has really done very well. And I I think part of the reason that it has done well is because it's it's such an honest to God reflection of my stumbling um as I entered into this world of what do you mean there's elves, you know, and my own disbelief and the fact that we were working with the land and the vineyards and it was um it just was one little miracle after the next. So So Penny, could you go back and
1: tell our listeners how did the whole introduction to the elves begin. And maybe, you know, Ahanu did mention that you have your farm in Michigan mm-hmm. and um, you bought this farm with your husband what has wonderful vineyards on it and everything. But tell tell the story of how you actually encountered the elves for the very first time.
3: Okay. Um I was um I had my son was eighteen And I was um, stressing out one day over a period of time. This was in October of, I think, 1990. And I was aware that the U.S. was ramping up to make big war against Kuwait or Saddam Hussein or somebody. I think it was Kuwait. And I was so afraid that my son was going to be drafted and sent off to kill or be killed, and I just did not want that at all. So I went for a walk, and I, as I walked along, I, I wasn't really thinking anything. I was just stewing and chewing. I had my head down, you know, just walking along, and all of a sudden, I became aware of these little, what sounded like voices. And, you know, it was just such, you know, so unexpected. And I did not believe in elves at the time. And they kind of introduced themselves. And, um, you know, we began a conversation. It was um, kind of awkward, the first conversation. You know, I refused to answer because I did not want to think that I was crazily believing in else or something like that, or I didn't really even know what it was. And so the conversation was not much of a two-way conversation, but, um, you know, I ended up thinking, okay, um, you know, maybe a few days later, a week later or so, I went back out thinking, okay, let me test, because that's my way with consciousness. If If I can test something and it happens again, then I have some kind of objectivity that says, okay, you know, this is not my imagination. This is, you know, um, this is something that I should explore. And that's how it got started. So, and in that very beginning couple conversations, there were two conversations, I think. Um, And in the first one, I was very, very hesitant to say anything, and the second one, I ended up making a deal with them, and they wanted me to tell people that they existed. And I was like, "Hey, hey, man, I'm not even sure I believe you exist." So, but we made this deal: if we could get a hundred tons of grapes from the vineyards, which was unheard of, absolutely unheard of, because um, we had a small vineyard. Um, you know, they, then I said, Okay and I said it at a hundred tons because I thought for sure I would never have to tell anybody anything. Um, and then the whole story is the next three years and my relationship with them and how it unfolded and what happened in the vineyard each year. So it was uh, a learning experience that was very powerful and very deep.
1: Yes, and that that is what I want to discuss with people today. And I'm glad you um, were such a practical person and such a grounded person in 3D because for the elves to come to you, now a lot of people would even want to know why would they come to somebody who's who's so normal, you know? (laughs) Right. Okay, when other people are just, you know, wanting to communicate with this kingdom so badly, but they came to you and um you know your your difficulties in believing in them is really, really interesting. And I wanted to ask you because I I have read most of your book. I didn't get to the last uh probably fifty pages. I was up late last night finishing it and my husband and I were reading it to each other throughout the last few weeks. But you know, you talked in there initially about your resistance Um, To walking the land. I think they asked you to walk the land. And I did have a question for you in terms of what was the importance of you walking the land? And then can you tell everybody about your resistance to doing it and some of the things that went through your mind?
3: Oh, my gosh. Um, Well, I didn't think there was any importance at all. It was like, what? You know, I'm on a hundred tons of grapes and you want me to what? You know, I asked them, is there anything that I can do to help make this happen? And so they said, yes, walk your land. And I was like, what for? It just didn't seem like that was an actual act at all. Like, I don't have time for that. What good will that do? That doesn't do anything to produce more Grapes more tons per acre. And so, you know, this was October. And so my first excuse for not walking was November. It was hunting season. And out, you know, I have woods, and there's people who sneak onto the land and they hunt, and I didn't want to get shot. (laughs) So my second excuse was it was December and the snow was three feet deep and it was too difficult to walk the land. And January was the same thing, and it was colder. February, I started feeling guilty. Um, finally, in March, I thought, "Well, I better get out there and and start walking quick. You know, it, this this has to happen quickly. You know, et cetera. And you know, the and so I began to walk the land, and the the my ability to communicate was evidently at a point that it was just mushrooming, okay? So I have to say that there are periods in one's life where nothing changes, everything's quiet, you're just going through the everyday routines, but then for other periods of time, things are changing, they're opening or they're closing, they're being born or they're dying, you know, you're seeing into something that you never understood before, Et and so I think I must have been in a period in which I was totally open and curious. Um, partly I wanted to disprove the fact that they existed. And, um, you know, and in the end, um, the walking actually taught me that if you are walking your land, you are letting the land educate you. And there's a whole difference kind of education that occurs in that process. And and it's a an, an attunement to the plants and the bugs and the birds and what's happening, who's doing what at what time of the year. And there's this natural, you begin to understand the rhythms of the, of the wind and the sun. And, you know, I can now pretty closely predict the weather, Um, you know, a couple days in advance just by um, standing outside for a minute, looking at the sky and paying attention to what's happening with the wind and and all of that. You know, I can pretty much tell what kind of winter or summer we're going to have by what the animals and the critters are doing. And Mm. you don't learn any of that unless you're out there walking the land.
2: Yes. Now, I think you put your finger on the most important point in all of that was paying attention. You said you would pay attention mm-hmm. to the weather. You pay attention. Do you think that's the single key that anybody can actually communicate with these, with this kingdom, with these kingdoms, if they just pay attention?
3: Yes. Yes. You know, it's like if I had one of those little bells that goes ding, ding, ding. I would say yes, you rang the bell. You have to pay attention or you're not, you know, you're not going to learn anything, and the entire universe out there, the entire world of Mother Nature, everything on the earth is alive and intelligent, and all you have to do is practice, and you can learn to communicate.
2: So tell us, what's missing then, when you take, let's look, for example, at the Department of Agriculture, I don't know what you call it here in the United States, but the yeah,
3: that's pretty close. Department
2: of Food or whatever it's called, what, they would argue that they are paying attention to food and foodstuffs and growing and methods and principles and cycles and all of that. So what, what is it do you think that they're missing when, they talk, when you talk about paying attention?
3: Well, they're only paying attention to one thing and that's the money. They're not paying attention to the rest of it. Um, you know, I think we could probably argue that they're also wanting to feed people and they're wanting to survive, but they aren't wanting that if it doesn't pay them to do that. And so that is where the real attention is going. The more that we have um, developed this this um, separation from the land, the more ignorant we became. And when I say ignorant, we can have all sorts of college degrees, but when we ignore the education and the practicalities of what's really happening in the environment, then we are ignorant. We are ignoring. And that, there's no... You can't do that. There's, there's no excuse for that. And somewhere along the line, that ignorance comes along and bites you in the butt, and you don't know how to respond. You don't know how to read the environment. You don't know what you don't know. And you think you've got it all, and, and you know, and then something happens, and it, it all goes to heck in a handbasket. So, you know, the I think all those systems that we have set up out there, Um, are made to look like we're doing something. But really, you know, what I see happening is that those kinds of systems, Department of Agriculture, all of that, our government, those have, there's a term that we use in accelerated teaching and learning. It's called infantilizing. And it really is a process in which you, in accelerated learning, you take people back to, their willingness to learn state of being, which is when they're infants. And what I see is there's this process of infantilizing happening with the government, but there's what's happening is all of the responsibility is being taken away, and people are naturally wanting life to be easier. And so they let that responsibility go, and then they blame everybody else for the things going on around them and they fail to see that they have to take part in the whole reality. And, you know, there's this massive, massive problem that I think we're headed into right now in terms of food and, you know, are people going to be able to survive um, if that food system goes down or the money system, you know, the expense of, of getting food goes up. And and we're just, it's a risk that is not worth taking. And so here on the farm, we have made sure that we, you know, we have one foot in that world of computers and digital stuff and media and electronics and, you know, all of that. And we, the other foot is deeply embedded in the seasons and the processes of Mother Nature and our animals and our plants and our water and our soil. Penny, we will talk more
1: about this as as the you um, go on this morning. But I want to go back to your process with switching mm-hmm. over from your fear of not being able to make enough money. Uh, in other words, you know, you express this desire oh. to garden and work on your property. And then you also would have this conflict with how is that going to earn you money. And right. many people... Many people have this problem in terms of, you know, they may hear what you're saying and say, I would love to uh, be able to do that and spend time to do that, but I have to feed my family. So can you talk about your own concerns and how you actually made the switch?
3: Well, um, in, in many ways, um, boy, oh, boy, that's like three days worth of conversation right there but let me say this um i was struggling i was an educational consultant and i wanted to write and garden i wanted to write all winter and garden all summer and there was no money in writing <laughs> and there was no money in gardening and so i had to keep going with the educational consulting but i i really chafed under that um under that yoke and there just came a point um, where the more that I wrote, what it comes down to is for a while you have to be willing to work two jobs. That's the first willingness. The second willingness, which is even bigger, is you have to be willing to restructure your life. And that may mean a different house, a different town, a different environment, uh, different people that you'll hang out with. And very few people are willing to do that. Um, the next thing is you have to be willing to build relationships with people, um, close relationships, working relationships. If you're going to have anything to do with the land, you need to have other people that have their fingers and their hearts and their feet and toes in the land as well. And there's this natural, let me help you with this, you know, I need that, et cetera. Um, Like we used to do on the farm when I was a kid, Um, you know, when it was threshing time, everybody showed up. There was a common thresher. Here, you know, when it's harvest time, everybody showed up. And so you paid the guy who could harvest the grapes. The harvesters are huge and they're expensive. And, you know, there's a whole team that works around the clock. And, um, you know, and, and it's very well organized. That kind of organization around Mother Nature and the seasons is considered ridiculous. You know, it's raining. Oh, we're not going outside today. You know, um, that sort of lack of willingness to be part of what Mother Nature is offering is everywhere. So you do have to be willing to restructure quite a bit in your life. And since that hasn't been really necessary, and even though the system is, is now showing serious signs of breaking down and the whole thing is very fragile, um, people are still continuing to act as if um, it's going to continue on. And, you know, the fact of the matter is because of the digital age, there are some wonderful new things coming, but they can't come into place, the new energy for instance, the new building, the new forms of building. None of that can occur while the old rules are still in place. So we have this, I think, this uh, uh, period of time that we need to get through. And and it's best if we don't all go through it at once, you know. So I've encouraged people to follow their heart. Um, That is really part of your spiritual development, is following your heart. And most people... Um, really struggle with that. And I did as well. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I can, my heart goes out to people that want to do something. I tell them, do it. It's your part time yeah. job.
2: Let us remind our listeners that you're listening to the Honest to God series with Angel Rose and Ahanu our special guest today is Penny Kelly who can be contacted at pennykelly.com she's the author of the Elves of Lily Hill Farm which is a partnership with nature and we encourage any of our listeners if they want to ask a question to call in at 805-292-0349 if anybody wants to contact us you can do so at angelrose at com. that's A-I-N-G-E-A-L-R-O-S-E Now, we do have a caller. you open to take a question from one of our listeners, Penny?
3: Yes, absolutely.
2: Go ahead, caller.
4: Hello? Hello. Hi, Penny. Uh, It's nice to hear you. I was um, just cruising around blog talk this morning, and I saw that um you were gonna be on talking about the elves and the fairies and that just so um intrigued me because um okay. I have an acre of land and um I let it go wild and it has a lot of sage in the back and I'm starting to see a lot of the elementals, like the mm. the green faces in the yep. plants. That's right. And um, I don't do pesticides or nothing. When we moved here, it was invaded by weeds, um, well, the weeds that were not native. So I went out there and I just pulled all of them by hand, by the root, um, A whole acre. <laughs> it took me little by little.
3: Yeah. But
4: I noticed that once I was uh, out there, I, just like you, I started to understand um the little bugs and the animals and the birds and mm-hmm. just different rhythms, and it really healed me. And ever since I've left my yard, um, natural, and I, um, and I welcome all the, the nature, the, the wild animals to live here, and, and I feed them and I give them water and everything, and I just feel like my whole life has been blessed, um, ever mm-hmm. since. And so I wanted to thank you for being on today because I truly believe in these elementals. I never did before. And then when I look out my window, I see a big elemental face in the mountains. So it's like they're popping mm-hmm. up, they're showing little by little. And um, it all started when I saw a program on television. I started um, um, fostering little cavies, little guinea pigs. and. Oh. um I would watch a little program on television with music and I saw a tree and on top of the tree there was an elf on television. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when it first came to me and this was over 5 years ago and then I started researching and then I started seeing them in my yard. So I do believe in them and um I do believe that you know our lives are going to be blessed if we take care of the land and Mm-hmm. And I turn yeah. vegetarian, and I I have a lot of compassion for nature. So um, I just believe that that magic alone um, will bring in um, healing and more magic into our lives.
3: It really so, does. And did you actually
4: have a question? Did you have a question for Penny? Well, um, I just wanted to ask you, Penny. I I, I do want to see them more. I don't see, like, little elves walking around, but I do see the faces in the plants, and I want it to bring in more into my life. And is there anything that I can do to to bring them? I invite them to live with me.
3: Okay. Uh, I th- Yeah, there's a couple of things. There's two things, I would say. The first thing is just practice relaxing your vision. And that is one thing. And letting go, as you're practicing relaxing that vision, let go of all of the, what I'm going to call the world's do's and don'ts about what you should be seeing and should not be seeing. You have to shift your brainwave frequency into a different frequency range in order to see them. And they are out there. They're all over out there. But I would like to share a little story Um, because you mentioned the sage and all of a sudden seeing the green faces and things like that. I had um, a gentleman who came one day um, to the farm, and he said, I read your book, and I I had to come and visit you, and I have to tell you this. I started walking in the woods uh, some years ago, I guess like 10 or 15 years ago, a long time. And he would always stop at this one tree and lean against it. And one day he felt like the tree was touching him, and it shocked him. It scared him. But he went back to that tree again and again. Pretty soon he started communicating with that tree, and they had whole conversations. And it, he, and I don't I won't I don't really know what the nature of those conversations were. But the point of the story is get to like 15 years down the road. This was a big old tree. And the tree said to the man, I am going to, this is my last year, and I'm going to be leaving. And I know you've had some doubts about um, these communications and whether or not you have imagined it all. So I am going to show you that I see you, and I want you to pay attention to what's happening to my body over the next year or two before I leave. And the so the man was like, yeah, okay, all right. So he continued to visit the tree, and right about where the man's head would lean against the tree, the tree began to develop this, it looked like a knot at first, he said, and then it became um like a big wart, and then it took the shape of a head, and then it developed eyes and a mouth. And the tree said finally, Um, I wanted you to know that this is what I see, I see you, we see humans, and we are mirroring you, and this is my attempt to prove to you that we do see, we do hear, we do feel, we do think, we do communicate, and I want you to cut this head that I have created off and take it with you, because the next time you come, I will have fallen down, and so the man was like, oh, so he, the next time he came out, he brought a saw, and he cut that head off, and he brought it to me. And I was astounded. I was mm-hmm. absolutely astounded. I still have it. And I think that's part of what you're experiencing. Just keep going with the communications. And what happens is that nature, a lot of nature is very afraid of us. But as they begin to sense your energy field and your intention, they will open and they will talk with you and they will share their secrets and they will give you small pieces of advice and, you know, things to do and not do. They offer tremendous comfort. Um, there, there are intelligences everywhere in nature. Everything is alive. So keep going with that and just practice relaxing your vision and dropping all assumptions.
4: Yes.
3: Thank you, Penny. I do believe
4: that. Thank you so much.
3: You're welcome. Thank you, Carla. Yeah, thank you for your loving care of
4: that space also.
3: Okay, go ahead. Yeah, Penny, let me ask you, what does the world look like? Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, Well, what level do you want to talk at? Um <laughs> what does it look like? Um there are several levels of being. You know, the essential source level is nothing but these billions of little pinpoints of light that are incredibly intelligent and incredibly loving. And that's the god stuff. There is no guy with a beard, you know, there's just these this light. And that's what never changes. That source level does not change. That Light is very, it's like, it's almost like water. It moves and acts like a fluid. And so, um, if it starts to move and starts to swirl, then you get all these waves and you get a sound, and those waves are conscious energy. Um, The energy is waveform, and all waveform has consciousness. So, that's the second level of what the world looks like. And then the third level is particles. Particles begin to congeal. The waves literally have a a direction they're going, and they have a rate at which they're moving, and they have a spin in which they're rolling over, and they can create a particle that contains that capacity for motion. And those particles then gather and because everything is brought forward as you move from the source to the wave state to the particle state, all of the capacity for communication and intelligence and life is brought forward with it. That that source state is is life itself. It's the life force. So you get all these particles that start communicating. I can do this. Well, I can. Well, let me show you that. And pretty soon. Um, You know, they arrive, it's almost accidental, not really. There's some intelligence involved. But they arrive at a state in which the entire conglomeration um, leaps to a new level and now you've got, you know, a hydrogen or you've got a gold atom or you've got, you know, argon or, you know, whatever, whatever the particle is. And then those particles begin coming together And you get patterns, and then the patterns are what literally create the world that we live in. So the whole thing is a series of motion until you get to the pattern stage in which you are. At that point, you have a capacity for form. But the form only lasts as long as the consciousness and the thinking supports that form. And so we call it a world of illusion because it's not permanent. But the world, once you get, once you get the world of form going, oh my god. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There are billions of life forms operating. Like if you, I tell my students, if you put your hand on your hip, that little triangle created by the side of your body, your forearm and your upper arm, is an entire cosmos of life happening all by itself. Um, There are millions, billions, uncountable numbers of life forms. Some of them only last for a second. Some last for five seconds. Some, like us, last for a while. The forms, if they don't have enough form to them, enough material stuff, we don't even see them. But they're out there, and it's a world, I call it the geometric level. There's a world of geometry that is, stunningly beautiful and all it is is different shapes
2: you you mentioned a couple of very important words in, in that entire description Penny you mentioned both healing and illusion and our last caller talked about when she went in her garden she she felt healed by it now we understand that the level of consciousness that the body is an illusion and of course all of what we see and think of as being real is an illusion but let's talk about on the level of understanding for most people where say they have some illness or they have some physical physical drama going on in their bodies that they perceive as real now we know for example that many many doctors and people in the caring profession would would have heretofore recognized that it's important to get out in nature. They may say go for a walk or walk by the, the the pond or go in the woods or something because they know at some level that there is something healing about that. But how can there be healing if there is illusion? Can you just bridge that gap for us?
3: Okay. Um the first thing I would say is that the healing itself is um is when energy is allowed to move through the form, and I think i wanna i let's kind of go to the the word illusion right off the bat to say that something is an illusion does not mean that it's not there. It's not real. It it doesn't take away anything in terms of that form's needs, its wants, its abilities to evolve, etc. Just be aware that the task of all form is to evolve to become an eternal being that can maintain itself endlessly, to, to step into that world of eternity. It's one of the things Jesus was trying to teach, and very few people got it. But... The the illusion is until we become an eternal being, we are living in a world of illusions and we allow or don't allow certain energies to move through us and those energies may or may not be good for us. The body is a is a tremendous energy channel and you have to, when you get out in nature, what happens is you drop some of the tensions and the blockages that prevent Certain energies for moving through the system, and those energies are needed in order to support the self. It isn't the food. It isn't your, you know, your uh, how spiritual you are, etc., etc. The fact of the matter is that you're an energy body, an energy being, and you will have come into being with an intention or an intent, a purpose deep within yourself and that is not something that you choose it is just something that comes with you it's embedded in it's very deep it's beyond desire it's beyond all of your thinking it's an it's a purpose that you came into this world in or in in response to a need for some sort of energy Mm -hmm. and very few people allow that deep that deep purpose, that embedded intent to come to the surface. And when they do, we say, oh my God, he's a genius, or, you know, he's a miracle man, or she's a magic woman, or whatever. Those How did
2: others are... react to you, Penny, when you first mentioned that you were speaking to or seeing elementals? How? Tell us, you know, did you feel that you were going out on a wing here, that people might regard you as crazy? or What yep. was your own reaction when you first decided to go public with this?
3: Well, you know, it was not good. <laughs> I was um, so excited about getting The Elves of Lily Hill Farm published that I never really sat down and thought about the fact that I was, uh, this is how I said what I said to my husband one morning at breakfast, oh, my gosh, we are going to end up coming out of the closet concerning elves. Um, you know, what are we going to do? What? Are, how are we going to handle that? And I wanted to go back and tell the publisher, no, don't publish the book. And it was too late. You know, it was already in print. Um, you know, it was just too late. And so I suffered. And then once it was out, um, there was a tremendous reaction to that, and, um, and you know, we ended up being on TV and, you know, cameras and stuff came to the farm and all kinds of stuff, and I was astounded at the number of people who were secretly either talking with elves or had seen elves when they were young before they had learned to not see and you know, who were busy you know really doing many of the things that nature spirit selves, and divas wanted us to do because they were responding to something deep within themselves, and so I began to relax finally, but it was rough at first fantastic now I want to talk a little bit still about
1: this illusion business because throughout the book. Alvy would often turn to you and say, "It's your illusion. It's oh, your illusion. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's your illusion." So, can you can you tell our listeners, you know, what Alvy was talking about when he would say that to you, and how did you finally understand what he what he meant?
3: Yes, he would. What he taught me was that. Um, you know, that I was creating the world around me. And, you know, that was, it wasn't just me. It was everybody creating. We're all creating this together. And so we have this collective creation that we are involved in. However, each person is a world, a reality system in themselves. And what he was trying to get across was that, he was trying to communicate with me and and like all good communicators you don't try to change where somebody's at you go to where they are and you move forward from there you join their illusion not forgetting where you're you know what the goal is and then you slowly work your way deeper and deeper until you can change a core perception or a core assumption and that's what he was doing, you know. it was a mm. master at, you know, at communication. And I still communicate with him. Um, it's been 22 years now. And wow. um, it's a, an ongoing relationship. I have seriously considered writing another book about my experiences with them because they, they go much deeper than the, yes. those first three years.
2: Penny, let us take just a real quick break here. But when we come back I want to ask you whether these elves and elementals and nature spirits are ageless and I want to ask you also about the difference between them. So let us remind our listeners that our sponsor this week is Diamond Sun Hosting, consciously hosting your spiritual website since 1993 Diamond Sun Hosting can be contacted at diamondsonhosting.com that's all one word and if you wish to sponsor an episode or indeed the full Honest to God series contact us at angelrose at angelrose.com we're going to be right back just after this
0: this is the Art of Living Well Radio Network Radio to inspire enlightened living The Honest to God Series with Anne Gail Rose and Ahanu.
2: Now we've such a lot to cover and we've got so many questions. We're with Penny Kelly of pennykelly.com who's the author of The Elves of Lily Hill Farm, a partnership with nature. And that question just before the break, Penny, could you address that? What is the difference between these various natures and are they ageless?
3: Um, okay, the difference between them is the the nature of the energy pattern that each one is. Does that make any sense? If you have a rose, you get a particular formation of of energy that is moving through the the system you know, this system of, of the Earth. And what you get is the expression of a rose. If you have a corn plant, that's a different pattern of energy. And there's a form of intelligence associated with each one of those. So what it is is just a difference in energy patterns. And some of those become very active within this range of frequencies that our Earth is embedded in. As for the, to the question about ageless, um, the, I think the divas are ageless. Now, the elves, uh, if they're associated with water, if they're associated with the earth, they also appear to be ageless. But there are also what I'm going to call the fairies. Um, those are the plants and the flowers and things like that. Um, they seem to come and go and change, but there's an overriding form or pattern and that overriding form for a rose or a corn plant or a blade of grass or you know whatever um, is that seems to be a pretty permanent pattern the um, when you get into the divas now there you have something that I do believe is is as long as the earth is (laughs) can I say it like that Mm-hmm. They are very old. They are, I've I've seen divas, you know, with my bare eyes. They are stunningly beautiful, unbelievably beautiful. And, and
2: do they communicate with each other, Penny, like across the different frequencies? In other words, would an elf communicate with a diva, communicate with the wind or the air or yes. the earth or uh, another nature spirit? Yeah.
3: Yes, they're all communicating, they're all part of an effort to make a living system and to support the, we are the highest form of life in this living system, supposedly. The goal of a living system, when I say that I mean the soil, the water, the trees, the flowers, the you know, the vegetables, etc., the butterflies, the animals. The goal is to evolve a form of being, which in this case is the human, that can take the entire system to become an eternal system. And that means that the humans have to not destroy themselves and learn enough to be able to um, to keep evolving and stay alive long enough to evolve to become a body of light each enlightenment is becoming light turning <coughs> excuse me turning into light that's what true enlightenment is it doesn't have anything to do with how much spiritual reading you do or how much praying you do or how much meditating you do it has to do with are you able to allow the body the body-mind system, to become light. And so the cells literally are based in light instead of in chemistry. So that process is what all of the divas, all of the elves, all of nature, everything that's intelligent is pushing us toward. And that was why Alvi contacted me. And, and I did not say that in this particular book because I didn't learn that until you know, five years ago, in my conversations with him, he said, we can't go any further until, you know, you, until you guys do. And I was like, what are you talking about? And that ended up producing a series of conversations in which all of a sudden I grasped that they were reaching out because I said to him, why me? Why are you communicating with me? You couldn't have chosen anyone more skeptical. And he said, because you can communicate, and we had to take the risk. Because if we don't reach out, you're going to wreck us all, and we'll all go down. And that was huge for me. So,
1: Penny, then, are you suggesting then that the elemental kingdom and the elves and the fairies, they can't evolve unless we do, or are they already... Okay, because I thought they were already eternal life beings so they're they're not then
3: they're associated with this particular energy system and if we destroy this if we destroy the earth and it just becomes dust then they have they have nothing
1: so the next question then is how do we become eternal life
0: beings
3: Um, actually that's a process Um, I think we talked about getting to enlightenment in our last conversation um and it's a that is something that i think we need a great deal more research i got very close to it um there've been times when i've stepped into it accidentally but it's another um form of body i'm going to say something like this you get a bunch of chemicals together and at some point if you add just the right chemical there's a, a, a you know a reaction that occurs. It recurs naturally because there are certain elements that are responding to one another. That same thing happens in the body mind system. You get or you step into a moment in which the energy moving through you, and your attitudes and your allowing, etc., allows the, a total reorganization of the light body so that you use energy more efficiently and you produce more light. And that may sound vague at this point, but that's exactly what has to happen. We have to move into um, the places, the ways of being, the, the processes, the habits, The thoughts the you know the daily routines that allow us to become light and it happens usually a little bit at a time unless you know you have a major kundalini um, awakening in which case there's a total rewiring and reorganization of your entire energy body Um, that's a massive change and uh, a near-death experience also is um, very often it's a total reorganization of the energy body. There's a lot of near-death that happens when people just decide to drop out of the organizational body they have. And when they come back, they have a new organization. But nobody knows that, and so the people who come back end up struggling with all their new perceptions and their abilities. And they fail to see that they have had what's called a little death and, you know, without having to, to leave here physically, you know, they've continued their body, but they've totally rearranged the light and the and the energy system moving through. Um, and, you know, they're different. They're very different. They're much more perceptive, sometimes very psychic, et cetera. So you okay, have work Penny. to do. Depending, let's address two things, and then I'm going
1: to have to pass the mic over to Ahano because I know he's chomping at the bit with some questions. Also, okay. but I have two questions now from leading on from what you're talking about, and one is you mentioned earlier that it wasn't about food, and I know that there's so many people who really believe that if you eat meat, then you're going to stay dense forever, and if you're a vegetarian, you're somehow on your way up the ascension ladder. So I'd like you to uh, clear that up first. And then the second question I have is, is why do you think we die?
3: Oh, okay. All right. Well, the first question about the meat is, no, the meat is not going to keep you from ascending. Um, it just isn't. You have to honor the the way that your energy system is put together, and that may require meat. Eskimos do not have the enzyme systems within their body to digest fruits and vegetables. People in the tropics have very few enzyme systems that allow them to um, process meat in the body. And so, you know, Eskimos eat very few vegetables, you know, some berries and things like that. And people who are raised in very warm cultures need very little meat. However you have to eat according to your DNA. And we have moved all over the globe in total disregard for the um, way that we were created for our DNA inheritance and we have adopted whatever cultural practices with food there are and the result is total loss of our food wisdom, total loss. So you know, meat is when you truly move up the ladder and you begin to step into those um, periods when you are operating as a full light body system, you will not want or need meat because you are, or or even food for that matter, because you just don't eat your friends. And there's this deep, deep communication that you have with all forms of life um, regardless of whether you think they're alive or not, they're still alive. The animals are still alive, even once they've been slaughtered. And the same for the corn or the strawberry or the whatever. So, And the other thing about the death, I, there's two reasons that we die, and I'm going to have a positive and a negative. We die because we do not align ourselves with the, with the energy flows that are moving through the body. We aren't even aware that, I mean, people are now starting to become aware that they are an energy body, but um, not. it's not very widespread. It isn't very deep, and there's a lot of misunderstanding around it. And so when you fail to support the energy body, then the physical body which is a small part of that energy body will die the energy body will continue it will get reborn as another body and you make another go at trying to evolve yourself to become a being of light and so that's you know the little men in brown robes that were another group of beings that I that visited me said that death was a mistaken thinking and um so let me give you an example thinking that you can um you know that you can eat garbage or eat sugar um not eat the range of frequencies every food is a frequency um that you need and not get sick and die is a mistake in thinking you have to eat what your body is telling you to eat and we just don't like i said we don't pay any attention to our body and we are very much um i'm going to say male aggressive in our attitude toward our body and i'm going to tell you what you're going to eat and you're going to eat this and you're going to do this and you're going to do that and i don't believe this and i don't believe that it isn't about belief it's about knowing and when you know the right thing there's an immediate release of energy and there's immediate healing.
2: That is a whole subject in its own right. There could be, as you said earlier, there could be days or even weeks of discussion about yeah. that. But it raises the question that if, if this is all about energy and all about intelligence and all about consciousness, and you did mention a very, very key phrase there where you said, you just don't eat your friends. What, what does a, a nature spirit feel or think if somebody comes along and eats them?
3: Well, you don't typically eat the nature spirit. The nature spirit basically gives up his energy to you, okay? That, that whole process, it is, it is the goal, it is the will, it's the um, purpose of a plant to feed early stage humans so that they can continue to be healthy, so that they can move on and up till they move past the need for a plant or an animal, and they move into just being able to subsist on frequencies and light. And we're moving slowly. There's a few people Mm. moving in that direction.
2: Well, that's a very important thing you're mentioning there, because when you say that the purpose of plants is to feed early stage humans, you did mention earlier on that the human was or supposed to be at the, the peak of the life chain or the, life. the highest intelligence in this reality. But in fact, we're probably, we're probably displaying the fact that we're, we're so ignorant and we're so unconnected. Connected. That we are, as you say, early stage humans.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way, but that's really good. We are so well, destructive at this point that the entire world of um you know, plants and animals is um pretty much freaking out. Um you know, they are very concerned that we're not gonna make it and they're gonna go down with us. Their yes. efforts to raise a crop of humans that would carry the whole system to the next level is mm-hmm. um, threatened quite a bit right now.
2: Okay, so as we move into the, the last third segment of our show today, you're listening to Ange Rose and Ahanu on the Honest to God series and we're speaking with our wonderful guest who's the author of The Elves of Lily Hill Farm penny kelly and she can be contacted at pennykelly.com wonderful book we recommend it to everybody because we do believe that it bridges it helps bridge that gap between what we perceive as reality and that wonderful frequency of the nature spirits and elves i've got a question for you that's been burning in my mind for the last since we first met penny kelly and that is coming from ireland penny you've got a wonderful irish name too kelly But coming from Ireland and that culture that I mentioned at the opening of the program, we're very familiar with the the belief in elves and fairies and leprechauns Mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing. How did they manage to get exported from Ireland? Did they come over in, in in, in that mass immigration at the time of the the um, The famine in Ireland and come into Ellis Island and get registered here in the United States of America, or how did they get here?
3: <laughs> no, there are elves, divas, fairies, um, what you call leprechauns, nature spirits everywhere on the planet. They are everywhere that you have any form of life and soil, and the whole planet is soil, and water, and the whole planet has water, and air, and, you know, wind, et cetera. And the the nature spirits may differ a little bit from country to country because the plants are slightly different from country to country, but they're everywhere, just all over. And they communicate. Um, You know, it just was... uh, really amazing. To me, I was out in the southwest, and I was, I forget what where I was, but I was sitting in this beautiful, um, sort of like a patio area of a public place, um, and they had some trees planted. And I was watching some elves, and I tried to communicate with them, and there was a little bit of conversation, and it was really not much, et cetera. So I come back home, months later, um, you know, I'm talking with Alvy, who is the fellow, the elf that I have dealt with the most, and he mentions my conversation with the elves out in Arizona, and I was stunned. I thought, oh, and I said, how did you know about that? And he said, we all keep in touch, you know. (laughs) And I was like, okay, all right. Um, When you do a favor... Uh, to a tree or a plant or an ant or a moth or whatever, the entire world of plants and moths and ants or trees knows that, and that that message—it's a—it's a way of being in the world—goes um, out. You connect. There's a network. It's like an unseen internet of energy connections between all those who are nurturing life. And we just don't, we aren't aware of that as a rule. Most people are not aware of that connection. So I've been recognized here and there by elves in other places. And that was a big surprise to me. Penny, I have two two questions,
1: I think, maybe three. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. One is, since we were talking about food, I just wanted to know what elves and divas eat, if in fact they do eat. And the other question is, are they connected to the angelic realm? And then after you answer those, I do think we do need to hear what you have to say about the state of, of play that you feel we're in. Because I do sense an urgency in your voice about that. And I do think we need to have a conversation about that as well.
3: Yeah, OK. All right, well, the first thing, um, elves really seem to um, live on light. They're already where we're trying to get to. They've been around for much longer, have evolved to become highly intelligent, skilled communicators, etc. We are so young. Um, And we have the opportunity as humans to make a leap here, um, but we need to survive long enough to make that leap. So, um, you know, I don't really, I do not see elves eating. I've heard people say, oh, they eat this or they eat that. They may put on a show of eating something now and then, but that's that same thing that I mentioned about the tree saying, I'm going to show you that I recognize you. You go to where somebody is at, and you join their practices, even though you are you don't do that normally yourself, and you just join with them because that's a way to connect, so you know that's what I would say about elves eating um the angelic realm um you know and Gail, I have to say that the world that I observe that I live in is so full of beings of light that I have moved into this this attitude that there, it's all angels. We are all angelic. There are some very high, very powerful beings that I think most people would easily refer to as an angel. Um, but the angelic realm, the word angel means messenger. And so the angelic realm is the messenger realm, and there's open and constant and unobstructed communication going on between all beings of light. And unless you've been in that kind of consciousness, you would not be able to grasp um, the power of that ability to know and communicate everywhere in space and time. So I think it's all the angelic realm, and they're all connected. And then uh, as far as, you know, plagues are concerned, you know, I am very concerned about what I see happening with um, the human body-mind system and the the failure to move that body-mind system into the next level of development. Um, there's a few people being born here and there that are exquisitely healthy, but not very many. And and there's such degradation of the ability to communicate, the ability to see and hear. We can't even see and hear what's right in front of us, let alone the subtle realms or the hidden realms or other dimensions. Um, And and that I'm, I'm very concerned. I'm just very, very concerned. And it is for that reason that I have kept my relationship with the elves alive and well, and my relationship with the land, you know, one foot in the land, you know, I grow my own food, um, you know, and I insist on doing that because I have a communication with my garden area that is very, very powerful, and the food that comes out of that, most people would not believe what is possible with food unless they saw was coming out of my garden it just you know we can put stuff does not rot it you can put it on the cupboard and two weeks later it's still sitting there you know i've experimented with zucchini it lasts forever
2: without any preservatives or any artificial any artificial anything
3: no no artificial anything it what happens is if you get a well mineralized garden You know how when we put up a skyscraper, the steel beams become the structure on which everything hangs? Mm -hmm. When a plant is constructing itself, it needs those same kinds of heavy-duty minerals to construct itself so that Mm -hmm. everything will hang on that. When you get a good structure, um, then energy can be routed through the system in a way that builds sugars. You want to be able to build bricks, B-R-I-X, in the plant or the fruit or the vegetable. And that sugar is what, in effect, cans that vegetable right there on the cupboard. When you can peaches or you can, you know, carrots or you can anything, the goal is to seal it away. Or, for instance, let me just use peaches because that's the best example. You make a sugar or honey and water Um, syrup to pour in and the the sugar binds all the water and makes that water unavailable to bacteria and there and therefore the peaches do not rot in the jar because no bacteria can get going because it can't get access to water
2: is this the kind of knowledge that the elves of Lily Hill Farm would have passed on to you or is this you working your own mission penny
3: it's a combination what happens is once you start, once you get, say, a head of lettuce out of the garden, and you put that on the cupboard, and it's just as sturdy as your cereal bowl, and just as thick as your your cereal bowl, you look at what's in the grocery store and go, Oh my, what happened? You know, that is not food. There's nothing in the food to support the rebuilding, the constant rebuilding of the body. And all of that came in a huge rush as I worked with the elves and they, they hooked me into understanding that the earth and the human and the plant all need the same thing. They all need the same minerals. They all need the same vitamins. They all, you know, have the same goal, et cetera, et cetera. And the goal is to produce food in terms of soil. If you love and care for your soil and you feed that soil, then that soil will feed you like like there is no, you know, Like there is no death, no end of existence. And the food that comes out of that soil has energies in it that will heal you specifically. It's astounding, you know. I've had people
1: come here. You actually have courses out at Lily Hill Farm to teach people how to do this.
3: Yeah, I do. I teach organic gardening and I teach a class called Getting Well Again Naturally. And people usually come out of that with their eyes kind of going in circles like, Oh my God, I had no idea. It's a fascinating bunch of information. Fascinating. And so relevant. And you okay. know, a and you, do have a,
1: you do have a book called Living Well Naturally. Would that have uh enough yeah.
3: information in it for a person? I think so, yeah. It's called Getting Well Again Naturally. And I tried to put in there some of the stuff that I learned that was absolutely essential to understanding why we are getting sick, why we aren't all intuitive, why you know we don't have access to the other realms. It's because we don't have enough energy and we aren't able to manage the frequency ranges that are required to have that kind of communication. And that comes through our food and, you know, our practices here on the earth. So it's just that simple. That,
1: that is amazing. I'm glad because that is one of the books I did purchase. I haven't gotten into it yet. But um, I'm glad to know that that's in there because yeah. I I agree with you. I Even when you were speaking about each person's DNA and whether you eat meat or you don't eat meat, has to do with knowing your DNA but you know of course I'm left with how do you know your DNA?
3: Um there's places where you can get a test. Um, you know, I think you can go on the web and you know, they do testing. It doesn't cost all that much, but it basically says, you know, this is what your this is what you need. This is the kind of diet that you need and this is the kind of healing that you require. So um you know, it's well worth checking out. So, and when you do have to eat meat, and you realize that some animal has given its life for you, um, boy, you better be humble and grateful, and you know express gratitude for that. Um, and you know, if the animal suffered trauma while it was being killed, then, or even while it was alive, um, then the goal is to soothe the energy of that animal before you eat it. And so that was the original purpose of praying, just to make sure that whatever you were putting in your mouth had reorganized its energies because the old indigenous tribes knew that that animal was still alive and was still listening and was still communicating. And they wanted to make sure that that animal, that's why they often only went after an animal that offered itself, that said, I'm ready to go. So it's okay. um Tell it's an Penny. old habit Is, praying. <laughs>
2: yes. Is there if there was one message that you could summarize from the elves and the divas, what would that be?
3: Mm. I think it would have to be it's time to reconnect with the earth. It's almost past time. It's time to reconnect with the earth. It's essential for our survival and our spiritual growth and development.
2: Okay. All right, we're into the last little section of our show today, and we're speaking with Penny Kelly, and she can be contacted at pennykelly.com. And just a question from Angela Rose before we have to wind up today.
1: Okay. First of all, I do want to mention to our listeners that Penny will be back on the show, I believe, it's February 2nd. Isn't it, Penny?
3: Yes,
1: two weeks from now. Two weeks from now, we will be uh, talking a lot more about consciousness and our relationship with the earth and waking up. But I wanted to ask you, one of the things that struck me when I was reading the book when Alvy would, um, about the grapes, okay?
3: Yeah.
1: Okay. (laughs) About the grapes, how they said that you could produce 100 ton of grapes. And then uh, in this one particular crop, um, you were happy with 82 tons or something close to that. Right. And Alvy, they had turned around and winked at you and said, "Well, it's your illusion." Yeah. And I, does that? I mean, I read that and I felt like he was saying, "We can only help you with what you believe is is achievable." Is that
3: correct? That's correct. And and I didn't put it in the book. A couple of years later, he said, "We knew you didn't want to get to a hundred tons because we knew you didn't want to have to tell the truth about us." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, whoops! I think he's right." <laughs> So oh gosh I, yeah I was uh had to take responsibility for the fact that I did not want to get a hundred tons of grapes because I was very reluctant to come out of that closet and talk about what I was doing in terms of elves and and so on, so
1: yeah, okay, but I guess it leads me to you know the whole truth that what we experience in our realities is really dependent on what we think can happen is that that's right, right. Or?
3: that's so true yeah. that is yeah. so true i i that can't be emphasized enough it's amazing
1: yeah and the way the way that that kingdom um basically just allows you to have your your limitations and works with you at the level of your limitations
4: that's right and yet
1: it also knows that you could have gone well beyond that is that that's true yeah yeah Did you achieve your 100-ton of grapes?
3: Well, I don't want to say. I guess guess maybe I will say. I've never said before because I didn't want to spoil it for anybody reading the book. Um, We got to a point, and this was long after the book came out, probably, I'm going to say 1999, 2000, somewhere in there, um, where we we just stopped doing vineyards altogether. I had this intense argument with Alvy at that point. And it was really an explosive argument. And, you know, and he said, why are you doing this? What are you, you know, ripping up 14 acres of land and spraying? And, you know, we had stopped spraying, but we were still, you know, ripping it up and insisting, you know, that nothing else could grow there except these grapes and he said, you know, you can't eat 14 acres of grapes, and Welsh Foods doesn't want your organic grapes, you know, and, and so we stopped. We just stopped vineyard, vineyarding, growing grapes altogether, and let the grapes just go natural. And I have enough grapes, you know, every year to, um, you know, probably feed half the town. <laughs> they wow. It's turning into a woods um, Alvi's big argument was, you know, you are not trusting Mother Earth to supply you with what you need. You are trying to, you know, make it limited to just these grapes and all the other forms of life that would supplement and complement this area and these grapes are forbidden. Why? And okay. I just thought, Okay. Totally now,
2: I, I've got another question for you, but first I want to just make sure that we do get in, f- for the benefit of our listeners, a summary of what we've spoken to you. Penny Kelly about today we've been talking about your book The Elves of Lily Hill Farm which is a partnership with nature and particularly the elves and the fairies and leprechauns and divas and nature spirits and so on and we talked about how you started and how it all progressed right up to this point in time now and you mentioned specifically about how the land educated you and how the land should indeed be educating all of us okay. you, you pointed out the art of paying attention to nature and how various governments indeed could actually benefit from that you talked about the balance of progress and nature and how you balance all of that you know how the fact that you're you use computers and media and technology and so on but at the same time you balance that perfectly with consciousness and this is what the nature spirits help you to do you mentioned also about the fact that you needed to be willing to actually work two jobs in order to make this progression from the 3D reality of working, exchanging money for for hours uh, into that whole, whole area of um, communing with nature and how you were willing to work with people and the land and build relationships in order to make that happen. You also described very beautifully what, the world of the elves and fairies and nature spirits looks like and that was a wonderful description of their various frequencies of light. You mentioned a very important point too about having to eat according to your DNA and that answers a lot of questions that people have all over the world about this question of should I be vegetarian, should I be a meat eater, am I getting enough nutrition and so on. Right. Um, you did say, too, that really we have lost our food wisdom and that that is something that we do need to come get back. And also you, you described how, you know, you, you don't need to eat your friends. Perhaps there is something greater and grander in store for us you also touched on a very important point that I, that I felt certainly rang true for me and that was that the purpose of plants was to feed early stage humans and i thought that was a real good crack at where we are at today in our in our development you covered how elves live on light and perhaps that's one of the single biggest areas that we could learn from them about how we too can live on light how they're in the uh, that angelic realm and how they all are part of all those various frequencies. Then you turn to something very practical and that was the key to preserving fruit and vegetables. You mentioned about the sugars and of course your book is all about how you were really really struggling to get up the sugar content in your in your grapes there in the uh, Lily Hill farm and then we talked about reconnecting to earth as being the main and that the elves can teach us. Now in the last few minutes I would love you to be able to talk about where we are now after this great turning point of 2012. You know what? what really is in store for us in terms of how the elves and the elementals would like us to develop from here, and can we move from being an early stage human into that angelic realm that we so earnestly desire on our journey back home?
3: Um, yeah, I think um, a couple of things I would say there. Um, if we take the message that I've gotten everywhere from, you know, elves, from divas, from little men in brown robes, from Various other beings that I deal with. The message is, you're all part of a very unique reality system. It includes the earth, everything on it, everything in it, you know, and everything that earth has produced, which includes plants, animals, and people. So if we are going to evolve as a system, we need to reconnect with one another. So taking that then as the foundation then um, and telling people it's time to reconnect with the earth, I think what we're going to, we're, we're at a choice point. And we did a a little journey on New Year's Eve called the Zigzag Journey, which I just posted on my website. And um, we, it was a journey in which, you know, a whole group of us just got together And we said, you know, let's look at what the year is going to bring. I led the zigzag journey, and nobody knew what actual time frame they were looking at. And I have a way of structuring it so that people do not know what time frame they're looking at, and they do know that we're zigzagging back and forth in time, so they can't get caught in a logical story and then unfold the logic of that, or they can't get caught in their fears, you know, it's too hard to be going back and forth. Um so you just have to see what comes when you give yourself directions to see and it looked like a pretty rough year. Um that this year could be very very difficult. I think it's not too late to change that. But having said that, the thing that came up again and again in everybody's what everybody saw was that there were shortages of food. And my thought was, uh-oh. You know, not enough people have uh, have learned how to garden, have reconnected with the earth, have even begun to trust that they could, with their breathing and their letting go of assumptions, maybe live on light and do much better than they ever dreamed they could or live on much less food and much more light. And I think that this next couple years, between 2000 2013 and 2021, but especially 2015 to 2020. We are going to have to make some hard choices as to how we're going to get by, how we're going to survive, et cetera. And what I want people to get to is this place of trusting that they are here as part of an intelligent system and they are part of that intelligence. And -hmm. they can learn and they can adapt. And they, you know, they really can take a huge spiritual leap if they're willing to experiment and explore and not yes. freak out and panic. Well,
2: unfortunately, we do have to leave it there, Penny. It's been absolutely wonderful speaking with you. Penny can oh, be contacted at pennykelly.com. Uh, let us just say that. The Eight Steps to Freedom is available at eightstepstofreedom.com. That's all hyphenated. Angel Rose's book, A Time of Change, is available at attimeofchange.info. And her next book coming out, The Nature of Reality, is available at the info. If anybody is in the area of San Diego, California, join us for our group, Akashic Records. Meetings every Wednesday evening in San Diego. You'll find out about that at meetup.com. Just search for either Angel Rose or Akashic Records Group. Penny, we have to say goodbye. It's been absolutely wonderful. Thank you ever so much, and we look forward to talking to you again on February 2nd.
3: Thank you so much. Have a wonderful two weeks. Thank you. Bye, Angel. This is
0: the Art of Living Well Radio Network. Radio to inspire enlightened living. The Honest to God series with Anne Gale Rose and Ahanu.